Pastors and worship leaders, is your worship team culture toxic? Today I'm going to give you three examples of unhealthy attitudes in your worship team that you must take care of. Let's talk about it. Hello and welcome to Blueprint Sounds. My name is Nathan Smith. Thank you for joining me. I'm so glad you're here. Today we're going to talk about worship team culture. But before we do, I want to give you something. If you go to my website, blueprintsounds.com, you can get access to my free 45-minute training called Five Elements of a Full-Sounding Worship Team. It's an excellent resource and a way for you to understand what the elements of a worship team are so you can build a sound from the ground up that will work no matter what song or what genre. It's really good for your band to understand what role they fill and not do other people's jobs. You hear examples of worship sound done wrong, which you may recognize, and how everybody can get out of each other's way and leave space. It's also really good for tech teams to hear this so they can achieve balance between those five elements. So again, go to blueprintsounds.com and check out five elements of a full-sounding worship team. All right, let's get to our topic for today. Everybody wants to have a healthy, vibrant worship culture, but there are three attitudes that if you allow them on stage and if you allow them to continue, will be toxic to your team. And here we go. Number one, the complainer. So let me uh, give you an illustration in men's basketball, pickup basketball, and then we'll bring it into the stage. I've been here, if you play open gym basketball, you've probably been here before, where you start playing and all of a sudden there's that one guy who takes his shot and misses it and immediately is like, oh man, that, that, that you can see the, the rim, it, it's cockeyed, right? It's, it's not even level. It's totally messing me up. We, let, switch, we gotta, I gotta play this way. I can't, I can't play on a bad rim. You're like, okay. And then he drives to the hoop and he misses his layup and says, oh, bring it back. Foul, foul, foul. Ugh. And then he passes and it goes out of bounds. He says, oh, is this ball even totally inflated? This ball is junk. Let's get a new, new ball. And then there's that awkward silence that descends over the court because everyone's like, after a point, I'm pretty sure it's you. It's not the gear. Like everybody else is just getting on with it and playing the game. Why does everything have to be perfect for you to even play a game of pickup basketball? Yeah, I've been there. Let's bring it to the stage. Here's some examples of stuff that you might see. A background singer who is getting kind of pitchy and they say, I need more of myself in the monitor. Like, I, I can't hear myself. How am I supposed to sing if I can't hear? Like, sound guy, hello. All right, so they start complaining about their monitor, that they don't have enough. Or they're singing and all of a sudden they, they miss their lyrics and it's sound check. Like, well, nobody was changing the lyrics on the confidence monitor. I can't, if I don't know the lyrics, how am I supposed to sing? Or say it's a drummer and they're a guest drummer and they're, they're constantly readjusting every cymbal and every tom and like, ah, I can't even play on this snare. It doesn't, like, you can hear how dead it is, right? Somebody needs to replace this. They're all examples of the same thing. It's that person who can only play their best when they have the best, right? It's as if they expect everything else to just be perfect so that they can have the platform to perform and to shine. And if everything's not perfect, then 
they're going to tell everybody about it. You're going to hear about it if the gear isn't as good, or if the sound isn't as good, or if the drums aren't as good, whatever it is. And it's the same thing in pickup basketball as it is on stage. After a point, everybody kind of gets quiet and thinks, maybe it's you, right? Maybe, Maybe it's not the gear. That sort of attitude, if you allow it to continue, is detrimental to your team. It's just so demoralizing to hear somebody complaining because what they're doing is they're pulling the life that's in in the room and in the air. They're constantly pulling the attention to themselves, right? Even though they're pushing it out and saying that it's everybody else's fault, they're not just getting on with it. It's always about what they don't have. Oh, I don't have this thing, so I can't be my best. They're always making excuses. And again, it sucks all the oxygen out of the room as an excuse for why they aren't actually able to do their thing. And really, everybody knows, okay, I think after a point, it's your problem. It's not the gear's problem. But it really is demoralizing to a team to have to hear somebody complain and be negative the entire worship set or the entire worship practice. So worship leaders and pastors, be on the lookout for the complainer. The complainer will suck the joy out of your worship team. Number two attitude that is toxic to your worship team is the noodler. So this is usually an electric guitarist, a young guy or a bass player. Um, sometimes a drummer, and they are always playing. They are always playing because they're so infatuated with their instrument. Maybe it's with their, you know, this new thing that they're learning on guitar or their pedals or their drum fill. Like they have this pet drum fill that they're always working on and they're always working on it constantly. Like they're, they're playing when they shouldn't play. Like when somebody's trying to talk, they don't have that social awareness or when it's in the worship set, and maybe the song comes down and it's supposed to go down to just piano and the vocalist. We really just want to let those lyrics shine. And then inevitably that electric guitarist goes, like he finds a way back into the song. And you're thinking that that wasn't it. That was, you should have just not played. That would have been better than trying to come in, right? Maybe they're always just a little bit too loud or their tone is a little bit too upfront, whatever it may be. That player is sort of like a horse that hasn't been broken yet. They have all this unbridled energy, and they've got obviously got power, but they haven't learned how to put it under control. The reason why that's toxic is because they're going to hurt somebody eventually. The older players that have put their power under control are going to get fed up. And if you don't, as the worship pastor, if you don't take authority and say, hey, you know what? We need some guardrails that's not okay, not the right venue, not the right time. If you don't train that person to walk into maturity, the older, more mature people will either get resentful or they'll leave, right? Because nobody wants to play with a loose cannon. Nobody wants to, you know, a piano player doesn't want to get to that beautiful sweet spot and then have a guitar solo cranked over the top of what they're doing. Like that's not musical. It's not appropriate. And if that person doesn't learn what's appropriate, you're going to drive out the good players in your church. And then what you're left with is the noodler who is just treating it like it's his own personal rehearsal space to do whatever he wants. So you have to make sure that you teach wisdom and maturity to that individual or you have a hard conversation with them. Finally, the third 
toxic attitude for your worship team is the lazy diva. And when I say diva, I don't mean woman. Man or woman, it's the same idea. It's that person that does actually have some talent. They might even be one of the more talented individuals on your team, but they wing it. They're unprepared, they show up, and they expect that their talent is going to allow them to coast through with the minimal amount of preparation. Here's what's wrong with that. Good players understand what they can do when they are clearly the best on stage. Good players make the rest of their team better. In little, in little ways, like maybe it's a bass player who's playing with a lesser drummer. The bass player would say something like, hey, um, what's your kick drum pattern? I just want to make sure that I'm matching what you're doing so that we can, we can make sure that we really lock this thing down. They're always doing it with grace. Or maybe it's the electric guitar player who really knows his chords and he sees the acoustic guitar player might be playing one wrong. He'll pull him aside quietly, privately in between you know, songs and say, hey, um, that, move your finger one more over. Yeah, or don't play that low E string on a D chord. Yeah, that's going to be a lot better. Cool. All right, that's all examples of good players making their team sound better. The diva just expects that everybody else is their platform. So they show up and they don't have their charts. They didn't even look at them before it was time for rehearsal. Or if there is a mistake, they point it out. Whoa, 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 stop. Yep. You need to fix that, right? So they publicly shame other people because in the diva's mind, it's an I win, you lose situation. They secretly want to be the best on stage. They don't want to make their team the best. They want to be the best person on stage. And if that means that other people look bad or if if they can make other people look bad and you know, put them down during a service or during a practice, that's okay because then it it makes them look better. Here's the problem with that. Not only is that incredibly demoralizing, they're going to make their team sound worse. I have seen this with bands where you have one really talented individual who is a lazy diva, and then you have the rest of the band. And what the diva doesn't care about or isn't interested in is the cohesion and making the entire band play as a unit. Good players care about the band winning, and so they'll do whatever it takes to make sure everybody is together, and you want that type of person on your team. A diva is okay if he or she sounds and looks great, even if it is at the cost of someone else. I have seen bands with less talent individually than maybe the diva, and they outshine the diva band. Why? Because they know how to honor one another. Maybe they're not as talented, but they learn how to play as a unit. They play as a team. They stay together. They like each other. And that mutual honor absolutely comes out on stage in the sound and in the way that they um, function with each other. Attitude absolutely affects the music. If you had a group of people that you hated, I mean, I I know albums have been done where everybody was acrimonious and, and hated each other, and yet they put out some great music, but you can't sustain that. Good bands that like each other, that are actually friends, because there isn't that level of competition, will outperform the diva band that's falling apart. So, what do you do as a worship leader or as a pastor? You watch out for those attitudes when you see them. And when you do, you have to take care of 
the players with the good attitudes, and you have to confront and talk to the players that have the bad attitudes, even if it's uncomfortable. Here's the problem. If we put looking good and outcomes ahead of attitude, your worship team will blow up at some point. They will either dry up and you'll have nobody that wants to be involved, none of the good ones, and and you'll just be left with the performers, or you'll have a big blow up that you have to clean up later. You have to take care to hold those attitudes accountable and grow people, because guess what? That's what we should be about in the church, is discipleship and growing people into maturity. But if you just say, you know what? Hey, he got the job done on Sunday morning. He got the outcome that we were looking for. Even if you don't say that, if you let it slide, you are tacitly saying, I care more about your performance than I do about your heart and your attitude. If you let that attitude persist, it will destroy your worship team culture. You'll lose all your good people and you'll only be left with second-rate attitudes. And that might work for a time. You can, you know, you can still have the music sound okay, but it won't sound okay for long. It will implode. So, Take care of your people, nurture your people, increase the joy on your team, and they will go farther, they will sound better, and they will go for longer. I guarantee you. I've seen it happen, and I've made it happen. Hey, I hope that video helps you. I want your team to do well, but you as the leader have to have those hard conversations. It's not a complicated thing, but once you make that decision, it it will be a hard conversation. It will be a difficult conversation. But when you have your priorities straight, that you care more about your people than about looking good, that's what you have to do. All right, before I go, make sure you go to blueprintsounds.com and look up that 45-minute training, Five Elements of a Full-Sounding Worship Team. Until next time, God bless and goodbye.